Welcome, affiliated listeners, to a very, very special episode because it's not just Thomas and I today. In fact, we're not even going to be hosting today's podcast. We are going to be having the amazing Taylor Utt, who's going to be asking us questions today that we don't even know what they are. Um, hopefully, they're not too personal, but they probably will be. We're getting personal. Really personal. No, so <laughs> I'll have Taylor introduce what he's going to be talking about today. But for those of you who don't know him, Taylor's really the guy behind all of the content, him and his team that produce all this great stuff. Um, you know, he's been here from podcast day one and um, continues to produce for us, and he is awesome. Um, plus, if you ever just want to commiserate with him, he's a big uh, Broncos fan, Denver Broncos fan. So it's been a miserable year for him. <laughs> so luckily, 2023 will be the year until football season starts again. I'm assuming that's really when it goes downhill. But with that, Taylor, why don't you tell everyone what you're going to be talking with us about today? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. It's cool cool to be sitting here with you guys. I don't think we could stop me. having you. I think yeah. you would just have to force to. Yeah, we so don't have the power. Force yeah. you guys to put me on here with this. So I wanted to do something a little bit different today uh, with you guys and and. Play a little Mythbusters, if you can play along with me a little bit. We were talking uh, kind of before Who's the show Jamie? about yeah. Yeah. Adam. <laughs> Discovery Channel, uh, the good old days with that. Yeah. But something I, I really wanted to do, because I, I know there's a lot of myths out there about running an affiliate program and just affiliate marketing in general. And who better to kind of debunk these myths with you guys right here. So if you guys are cool with it, I want to walk you through some of the, I think, what do we have? Eight, eight most common, nine most common myths Ooh. that we see out there. And Let's well, do I love it. You guys like it. Let's do it. Let's take off our tinfoil hats and bust some myths. The bunker <laughs> turned into reality. Roll the slow motion camera. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's start off with the first one. So affiliates will hurt your brand, or basically that you have no control over what content or promotions these affiliates run. We see this all the time. What, what do you guys say to these people when you hear that myth? Busted. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> myth busted. That's it. Busted. Not yep. true. Yeah. Then I walk away. Don't say anything else. No. <laughs> Thomas, what would you say? I think this is one of our first podcast episodes. Actually, was around this myth. Yeah. No. It's a it's a common one. I think we get on calls all the time with people interested in coming to ClickBank and new affiliate platforms and all that kind of stuff. And it's yeah. It's like our affiliates gonna hurt my brand. Can I actually work with affiliates? Like, how do I protect my brand? And they're very fair questions because you've nurtured that little baby brand for a long time and you don't want to give up control, which you do give up some control to affiliates. That's kind of the nature of the game. They're technically 1099 salespeople for you, right? So you're kind of sending them off with material and hope they don't disparage you. But any good affiliate platform, any good affiliate program is going to have gates in place, especially if you're more branded, to make sure that you can have some defense put in measure. So that might be things like affiliates require approval to promote. That's a feature you can turn on in ClickBank. So that way you kind of filter the people coming through the ClickBank marketplace, you collect their information, you vet them, you make sure they have the traffic type you want. And then when you put them on a commission group, they get a working tracking link. That's the only way they can get a working tracking link so they don't go off and do something you don't like. If you want to be more open, you can still be more open, but you can always put an affiliate on a block list where if they do something you don't like, you can kind of banhammer them for your affiliate program, which is more defensive in nature because they've already done something you don't like in that case versus getting out in front of it. Um, but those are some two really common ways to kind of gate your affiliate program and your brand to make sure affiliates are staying in line. And the other one that always comes to mind for me is making sure that your affiliate terms and conditions are really tight and that you're setting very clear expectations with affiliates on what they're allowed or not allowed to do. Yeah. And I think one of the big things is lots of times people hear the horror stories of affiliate marketing. They hear some scammer that, you know, got a bunch of a dark web email address and sent like, cure cancer with this magical pill. And then they send them over to your page and you're like, ah, this is what I wanted. Right. Um, and all of a sudden your domain gets on spam house and you're like, this sucks. 
Um, so where that can happen, Thomas beautifully explained all the different ways that you could prevent that. I think the bigger side to flip and think about it is by saying affiliates are bad for your brand, that's also saying that people that aren't buying your brand already don't want it. There's huge pockets and swaths of people that aren't exposed to your brand that fit in your demographics, and there's affiliates that could unlock a key to turn that on. And lots of these affiliates, like I think sometimes people think that affiliates don't care about what they sell. Not true at all. There's plenty of mission-oriented affiliates they care about their audiences, they curate these audiences, and they can still drive massive amounts of traffic for you with the right commission, but you just need to go out there and find them. So um, one of the things with, I think, the chat, the having people sign up and um, you know talk to you uh, from affiliate, there's a good way to learn, well, where their list coming from, how they're going to promote. Also, I think going out to events and experiencing and talking to these affiliates, you'll realize that there are People that believe in what you're doing, they want to support your brand. If your brand makes them money and also helps their client base out, or you know, from a media buying standpoint, they don't get their account shut down, those are huge benefits. And you could find like-minded people to grow your brand rapidly and quickly. We've seen it time and time again. So don't let the bad affiliates ruin a very good thing um, that you could have control over and have pockets of audiences you really want. This is something I didn't hear you guys mention, and I'm, I'm curious if you've seen this help, uh, you know, brands that really do want to protect their brand image is like those affiliate resource pages that we talk about, too. Like, how important is it to, you know, supply like, like you know, your own branded imagery or, or like even just have like a bank of that stuff? I mean, does that help combat that a little bit? Is that a, a, a resource that these people can use? So at least they're not, you know, creating ad created from scratch or, you know, making claims that they shouldn't. I, I don't know. Is that is that something you guys hear? Not much. Yeah, we see it all the time with the top offers, right? Any scaled offer affiliate program has that kind of resource affiliates to go get, you know, email swipes or banner images or even the kind of pre-landers you could run, any kind of thing like that. Um, so it's always a very good thing to have for affiliates. I, I don't know if it like totally negates the risk of like an affiliate hurting your brand. I would just make sure that in that page you kind of have clearly linked maybe towards the bottom or like uh, I agree to follow the TNCs, Term, terms, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's also on that page. A common thing is if you have like celebrity-like endorsements out there, like you might have very specific ways you're allowed to use that celebrity endorsement. You might not let any affiliate use that. That has to be super clear because if they go see that celebrity A has got your product, they might try to use that image in good faith, not realizing that you are beholden to a PR agency, right? That is letting you use that in certain conditions. So that's just a random example, right? But yeah. those are things you need to think about and what you should specifically tell affiliates to do or not do in that kind of affiliate resource page. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. I, yeah, I think that would help vet ignorance um, from affecting you negatively, but it does not, that would not stop or derail a malicious affiliate. And I think most horror stories come from people that yeah. are more malicious than they are ignorant. Um, even though they'll claim ignorance as soon as you catch them, which is, I didn't know, someone told me. It was a rogue something, right? There's always a rogue someone that that steals or does something bad. Um, so, yeah, I think the bigger thing is the other tools in place um, and, you know, just remembering that it's, you don't need every affiliate. You just need the right affiliates. And so once you find those right affiliates, it's, it's more about protecting and keeping those right ones in there and, and the bad ones out. Which just a, a good mention too, I think that's important to look at when you're looking at your networks. What are the protections that those networks do to keep bad affiliates out? Because at the end of the day, you should trust that the right ones are coming on. Um, and you want to know that, you know, companies like ClickMink, we invest in an entire team and all sorts of technology 
I can't imagine the the actual price tag we spend to try and keep <laughs> bad affiliates out. Um, so, but there's other networks that that aren't doing that, and so you might find yourself if you're very brand oriented, you want to pay attention to what networks you you decide to work with. Yeah, it makes sense. Consider that myth busted. 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 Missed number one. All right, yeah. So let's move on to this next one. I think this one's interesting. Um, I've seen this one out here a lot. So all you have to do is list your offer on a network and affiliates will come. <laughs> Field of dreams. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad Kevin Costner is a guru in our marketing world. He's really getting, getting some things moving. Um, they will come. Yeah, I, you know, this is a, a very common thing we see, um, especially on ClickBank, because we do have gravity scores. We have abilities for a lot of affiliates to organically find you with what feels like no effort. Um, it is not true though. There's always effort that's given in, and just putting it an offer up on a network, um, at least on like ClickBank and hoping that it's going to generate traffic, it's just not gonna be enough. Now there are places, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, that that can happen. But on ClickBank, you know, you need a way to stimulate the gravity to get attention. We have thousands of new signups every single day. Now, not all of those are creating offers, but that means a lot of new offers come on our platform every single day. And to not just be a sea of all of the stuff out there, you need to be getting people to test your traffic. You need to bring affiliates you might already have. You might use your own list, something to start generating traffic in a plan and place to go out and recruit affiliates. Um, now, once you move up in the marketplace, the magic of being on page one, page two, because you've put in the work, you've shown that some, you've invited some people to come, right? Now all that swell of these organic affiliates who didn't necessarily actively recruit for will start to pick up and pay attention to your offer. But without the initial swell and efforts to recruit, find the right affiliates, get testing, whether it's your own you know, internal traffic, whether it might be, if you don't have that, not only do you not have the numbers to know that your offer works and to share with people, it's not going to feed the algorithm for anyone to think that your offer's done anything for them to care. So um, any thoughts on that, Thomas? And we can talk a little about networks that, that you can actually do that with. But Yeah, the two thoughts there are, I hear that from two different types of entrepreneurs, I guess, or kind of business owners. One is the person that has a really scaled product already, right? Or a big brand already, whatever it might be. Like, I'm ready to bring this to affiliates. If I bring it out there, it's going to scale and they're going to love it, right? But you might not have tested it to really cold traffic before. Right. And so really nailing down what you just said, Cal, like on the testing part, you can't assume that your 16 touch point e-commerce funnel and your social media presence that has really warmed up on audience. And now you've got some scale running. You can't assume that an affiliate with much colder traffic is going to convert the same way and get the same results. And so making sure that it's actually built, your program, your offer are actually built in a way to serve affiliates can help get that traction rolling. And the flip side of that is an entrepreneur who hasn't sold anything yet with their business. They just they've made the product, they put all this time and energy into the product, and they're like, hey, I just need affiliates to test. Right. And it's getting that, like, well, that's a long road to hoe. But understanding that, and it's not impossible, you can still move forward with it, but just putting it on a network and hoping you get a bunch of traffic. You'll get some affiliate signups, you'll get kind of some first lookers because it's a new product, but you can't you don't know where that traffic's coming from. You have nothing, no insight into that. So just relying on that is a usually doesn't work out for any type of scale. So having some control over your traffic and actually feeding that back to affiliates with your affiliate resource page and data and demographics and AOV and all that kind of stuff and speaking their language can go a tremendous way. Yeah, yeah, because you really really got to get jump started. Now, I mentioned there are areas where you can just plug 
into a network and expect traffic to come. Um, but normally the work getting onto it's a little bit upfront. And it's primarily through CPA networks. Um, so there are CPA networks that are boutique, they're really curated. They do a great job going and finding their own group of affiliates. And then they go to work and curate offers from other people to serve to them. So if you have something like that, they could 100% push your traffic or push your offer out, get affiliates for you. And really all you do is end up paying an invoice and seeing sales come through. It could be nice. That also comes at a large risk, though, because there's a lot of data that you don't have access to. You don't necessarily know the traffic channels. You have no relationship with the affiliates. You also don't always have full information to the numbers. So if you don't have your numbers dialed in from a CPA perspective and knowing that this is what you need to have, you could lose your money really, really fast. What if that traffic quality goes down and all of a sudden you get a bunch of chargebacks and refunds and you pay the CPA with its expected rate? You know, you can't go back to that network and be like, I'd like not to pay this. Like, <laughs> you've already done it, right? So um, it comes with a lot of risk because you don't have as much control in, in those networks. And it's not to say they're not viable, but to expect that to be your sole affiliate program sometimes can come with a lot of risk. So I know I don't really advise people to solely depend on a CPA network. I think it's a great benefit to layer in. But I would never recommend it for somebody who doesn't have their business dialed in as well. So not a great starting point. Unless you just are like, I don't want my money. I'd like to just get rid of all of it really fast. <laughs> um, that would be a, a, a way, one of the many ways that you could get rid of your money quickly with little return. <laughs> uh, so anything to add to that, Thomas? No, I mean, just you usually need some more upfront cash for that, right? Because you have to yeah. usually fund an escrow account for that CPA network. So they actually pay down from what daily caps of limits do you need to kind of keep affiliates under. So you can actually pay out from that escrow. How fast can you fill that escrow, right? Kind of if as it gets drawn down when they're paying affiliates. Those are all things to kind of consider. So it's you, it's like you just said, it's great if you're layering it into an established affiliate program. Um, and I've seen people take success with it when they are just starting out and kind of run with it. Um, but I, I like to have a little more control over what I'm doing and then layer that in. Yeah. Cause as I say, I've seen, oh, I've seen a lot of people have success with it even solely, but I've seen a lot more lose a lot of money and destroy their businesses. So it's just a high risk, high reward if you don't have the experience mm -hmm. and, cash well so something interesting that you guys brought up i think especially from the cpa network conversation is that like there actually are yet yeah, like a cpa network will do a lot of the affiliate management for you but if you're not on a cpa network that affiliate management still needs to be done and i think we'll call this a, a sub myth of this one that we're talking <laughs> about that you know uh, you know affiliate management yes it needs to be done but most of the time it's like you can, okay let's do it in-house and i think a lot of times people are like can i have a my va do it maybe i'll just do it for a little bit like what do you guys say to, you know, th that kind of, you know, thought and idea of just like, we'll we'll just figure it out when it needs to be done? Yeah. So this happens almost every client call I have. And it's around, I think the, it originates from people not understanding the type of work an affiliate manager should be doing. And they're assuming a type of work that they might be doing. Right. And I think what a lot of people think affiliate management is, is just like, getting an affiliate, a tracking link, getting them a report, getting some very like kind of rudimentary, just kind of like task management type work to kind of reduce friction. Um, and that role should be solved for as well. But what a good affiliate manager should be doing is really selling your affiliate program and really closing affiliates on sending traffic to it. And they should be compensated for that with either bonuses or commission or there, it's more of a headhunting sales role than it is like and management role. So the title itself is a little bit of a misnomer. I think it throws people off. So if you have someone, or if you know that that role should be very business development oriented, where someone's going out, shaking hands, kissing babies, and really networking for your business and your offer, things start to go, is that something I wanna do? 
maybe I can do it. Maybe it's not in my wheelhouse for the first bit. Maybe I can get it going and then I can bring someone in later, right? Or maybe I just need to hire for it right away if I wanted to have a good track, a good success record there. But it's really making sure that you have that role defined and that success metrics for that role in place. And that kind of lets you go find the right person versus more of a assistant type role. Yeah, and just to build off what Thomas said, I think that's the key distinction with that question or that myth when people come up with it is, is they're misclassifying what an affiliate manager can do for their business. And oftentimes it comes from if they come from an econ background and you're putting like your offer on share of sale with a you know a 10 to 20 percent commission, the standard of care for that's gonna be quite a bit different. That might just be somebody that's making sure they have their W2s filled out or they're getting their sorry, they're getting their 1099s or not. Their <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you could start to see that that would make sense. I just ha- I have a distribution of assets problem. Right. So, but there's so much more than that. Um, a real affiliate manager is a dynamic sales individual in your business that could look at your active relationships and say, how can we get more out of this? And what are the new ones that we could bring in? Yeah. Um, and I always encourage people if, if you have no experience with it, find somebody in your company that could either start or take it over or at least have some information, ideally yourself, because. One thing I see people make a lot of mistakes, they don't even know what an affiliate manager should be. They don't know anything about it. They hire some external hire. They hire somebody that they're going to train on something they don't understand. And you just get these affiliate managers that don't know what they're doing, get plopped to some event somewhere with some fictitious idea of making money and no concept of how to do it. So I just, I think that's one of the things, avoid that and like make sure that you know enough to be dangerous or somebody in your company knows enough to understand what that role should look like before you even start filling it. Or if you're going to hire somebody to get trained, make sure you really trust them and that they're going to give you feedback and understand so you know what's going on too. Because it is a position that isn't, if you want it to be done well, it's not just going to be a VA management here reactive role. It should be a proactive salesperson. Yeah, your affiliate manager should probably have an assistant underneath them to get that kind of work off yeah. their plate so they can do more of this closing and the selling. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They're the ones mm-hmm. that should have the VA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess to recap all the way back up uh, to, to that, that myth that we were talking about, just because you build it does not mean that they will come. There's actually Great infrastructure line. you need, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> you need to market your affiliate program. But yeah. you know what that mm-hmm. does work? is if you're just cooking tacos, really delicious tacos, if you make them, people will just come. They'll just, just come. They'll just know. <laughs> So this next one I love uh, here all the time. Affiliate traffic is actually free. It is. Free wow. traffic. Well, funny enough, um, and this I don't know if these episodes will drop before or after this, but we did actually meet with a very prominent affiliate that consistently referred to affiliate traffic as free. Well, yeah, I can uh, see and in a way, why. Yeah, you're paying a, yeah. as it happens, right? So you don't have to pay up front to get that traffic. Yeah. Right? So, so I think it's important yeah. to talk about how in a way it is, relative to media buying or list rentals are oftentimes traffic that is pay for the traffic to come and then accept the results that come next. Affiliate traffic is structured differently. Like I am not gonna pay until someone makes a sign, theoretically, right? Um, but we're getting to very performance-oriented costs. It costs money to invest in having an affiliate offer program um, making sure that you're, you have something tested and optimized. Oftentimes when people refer to affiliate traffic as being free, they already have a large email list that they split test their offers on and they optimize it. They know on their own list performance, the offer does this. They have a structured relationship with other affiliates that they go roll it out to confirm what they already know. And now they're rolling this out to their free traffic. Well, the 
thousands and thousands of dollars that were spent to get to that point to build a list, to have an offer, to have a copywriter, to have a designer, to create a page that looks like in direct response, well, that price tag is in zero. So um, <laughs> in fact, when people are starting out, you know, oftentimes I think the cost for creating from cold, like no direct response affiliate offer to having one, anywhere between fifty dollars to $100,000 is probably a realistic amount that you're going to spend to get to a really potentially good offer. Um, and, and some of that's going to be design, creation, copywriting, but also testing. Uh, it is really challenging to recruit and test with affiliates. You could do it. It's just very challenging because what happens if your tests go wrong? And on top of that, every single one of those affiliates has a different traffic source. And so I'm testing against so much variability, it becomes very challenging. You're always better suited to have control over that if you could have a yeah. decent budget and pay. And the way to look at it too is like, it might be free, air quotes, to you, but it's not free to that affiliate. That too, right? yeah. Like even if, even if they have an email list, which yeah, they have email service provider costs and things like that, like it might be cheaper than a media buyer going out and paying Facebook for traffic, but there's some sort of cost associated to that affiliate sending you traffic. And often it is an opportunity cost. They could have mailed to a top performing offer instead of your offer. So if your offer does not compete or does not outperform that top performing offer, they've just lost that potential revenue they could have made by mailing another offer. So that's where you start to realize that, okay, this isn't just free traffic, right? There's, what was it Highland? There is no such thing as a free lunch, right? Yeah. Yep. So it's like, you kind of have to realize that the bread is buttered somewhere and then you kind of start to play the game and understand how that game kind of works a little bit more. This myth has made me very hungry. Sorry, <laughs> lunch. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> bread. Yeah, well, <laughs> so uh, along the same line, I think I think this next myth dovetails really nicely into this one because uh, another misconception out there, I think, uh, or, or myth, shall I say, is that affiliates are cheap. And when I'm talking about this, I know we talked about affiliate traffic being considered free or something like that. Talk about affiliates what you pay them out being cheap because i know a lot of people typically in uh, traditional affiliate programs hey 5 10 15 20% commissions you know that's w whatever i have high margins i can pay for that are affiliates cheap uh they they can be <laughs> yeah i would say it depends what kind of affiliates i mean yeah. can yeah. you find your wife in a bar sure you can but i don't know if that's the route that i would go for but a i mean one, yeah, right? it, yeah it depends on the type of affiliate yeah. you want to attract right yeah i mean i, I hear it a lot it's like <laughs> It's like, oh, we're going to pay a really high commission. It's going to be like 15%. And it's like, I have to pause and go, wait, like, well, what's your average order value for a product? It's like 20 bucks, right? And it's like, well, so you're going to pay somebody, oh, like now I'm backing into mental 50. math. Yeah, yeah. $1.50, two bucks for a sale. Like, I have to ask them, would you be excited for that commission? And they kind of stop. I'm like, uh, no, I guess not. Like, <laughs> So you have to kind of realize that is your commission designed to be like a thank you, like an oh thanks, or is it designed to really be like a oh I want that? Is it incentivizing or is it more of a thank you? And the affiliate programs I see that have the five to like 20% commission rates are often built in more of like a thank you way, where it might almost be like they're serving that to existing customers. Oh, if you want to get a referral, if you want to send a referral, they're almost more of like that kind of model versus an actual scaled affiliate program with performance marketers. And that's where you start to go, okay, customer acquisition costs are going up everywhere, right? There's no traffic source that's really getting cheaper. Even TikTok started out cheap and now that's getting more expensive, right? Everything's getting more expensive as it gets more exposure. So you realize that affiliate um, traffic is also getting more expensive. Just, yeah. So the name of the game is how do you get the biggest average order value you can and the highest profit margin you can so you can pay out the most to acquire that customer. 
I don't care if that's to Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg or to an affiliate, right? How can you pay the most to acquire a customer? And then how do you monetize on the back end with that customer? And that's where you're going to make up a lot of ground. Yeah, because, I mean, you, you really do get what you pay for um, when it comes to affiliate program. And there is a level of competition. We're competing for the affiliate's attention. And those that could pay the most could play the most. They get access to a lot more traffic when you could give out those large commissions. Um, and, and the great thing, I think one of the things that is amazing about it, where it's not necessarily cheap but effective, I don't know if you could get a traffic source that you're going to get a more effective use of your spend than having a high-performing affiliate program because I could structure my commissions to hit my break-even point every single time. Like, I know I'm not going to lose money, and so they're happy at least as much as they can be, and I'm happy because I'm not going to be in the red to find out what happened, right? Uh, so I, th I think those those could really matter. But yeah, if you're going to have really a referral program at 10% where someone goes, oh, nice, I didn't think I would get anything, and if I did, great, that's great, but you could expect very different results from that. You're not going to expect somebody to drive you hundreds or thousands of sales on a daily basis um, or yeah, even in a month I don't think or we're a year. It yet, but we're, we're talking about seven to multiple eight-figure affiliate yeah. programs here, right? Yeah. Like um, the platinum clients our team works with are doing a minimum of $250,000 in revenue on a yearly basis, right? But we're really talking about things that can scale much further past that largely on the back of yeah. affiliates. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we have people that are running, you know, nine-figure affiliate programs. You know, yeah. that, that's a different level, mm -hmm. and they're not doing it on 15%. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. just not happening. Well, you said yeah. something. I mean, I think there's a, a huge distinction between, yeah, I like how you framed it, Thomas, too, is like that a, a referral program or more of a thank you and the type of affiliate that is attracted for that versus, you know, a, a high-margin, high-commission program like that, that attracts those type of performance affiliates that really can drive results that you're going to pay more for, uh, you know, up front in the long run, but they can actually drive real significant results for you. Yeah. I also would say that that's an acquisition channel. What if you're at 15, 10%, you're not looking to acquire anybody that like it's not, not act like aggressively. It's a cool, I had a high margin LTV. It's really almost an extension to LTV from another customer because it's a referral program, right? So it's not even an efficient referral program for being real. There's much better ways to get a good referral program than that. So yeah, whenever I chat with a stout, even like eight-figure e-com brands, yeah. and they're like, "Oh yeah, we have an affiliate program." I'm like, "Oh cool, what do you pay out there? Ten to fifteen percent? How much of like how much of on a percent basis? How many customers does that drive you? Or like a revenue basis? What is that driving you?" And they're like, "Oh, like three percent, five percent, right? It's usually a very small sliver of their overall business." It's like, okay, well, what goals do you have for your program? Do you want it to be 30%, like 20%? Like how much of your overall business do you want coming from affiliates? Let's build them, build something that actually can get you there. Versus, yeah. That's, yeah. that's really interesting, actually. And I, I want to skip ahead because there's a there's another myth that I've heard out there a, a, a lot of times that, that is perfectly married with what you Do we bust the last one, though? Could we bust this myth? Yes. Oh, yeah, sorry. Let's bust, bust it. it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that affiliate programs don't really generate that much revenue, mm, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think what you were just talking about there when you say, like, oh yeah, I paid 10 to 15%. Like, oh really, how, you know, how much overall business is that driving? Like, oh, 3%. So, you know, what, what, what do you say to that when you, we usually have these calls? Yeah, the whole like affiliates don't drive much revenue, affiliate programs don't work, affiliates don't work. Like, I think a lot of that comes from people hearing that from people that kind of maybe tried affiliate program that we just talked about. Like, oh yeah, I tried doing an affiliate program, it didn't work, right? I, we hear it from, I tried Facebook, it didn't work. We all know these models work, right? They wouldn't be scaled businesses if they didn't work. So it's usually people just not realizing the structure it takes to actually back into success with an affiliate program and actually taking a kind of almost modeling out what that looks like from day zero to day, you know, a thousand, whatever that is. 
And then if you start to understand the economics of the funnel, you can start to realize that, okay, my affiliate channel might be less of what I thought it was, where it's just like bloggers out there, it's kind of like referrals, it's gonna be more performance marketers with a targeted asset of traffic, and then how do I communicate with them in a way that would make a mutual win-win relationship where they're getting what they need and commissions, I'm getting what I need and customers and quality, and we can all scale together. And once you start to have that program in place, then it's like, okay, yeah, this can make sense, right? And you might be paying more per customer to acquire that, but would you rather have hundreds of thousands of new customers a day or a dozen at a high profit margin, right? Like probably the hundreds of thousands a day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even on that too, like we don't always think about, I see a lot of e-com brands that don't think about how long it takes to acquire a customer and all the steps and work they're putting into it. So sometimes their acquisition costs for a customer are not accounting for the fact that they need 10 touch points with that customer before they ever do it. And it's like, well, that doesn't seem like your acquisition costs are actually that low. They're just spread out. Um, so ultimately, a good way to think about performance affiliates, they're taking interaction that as an e-com provider, you might be doing in 10 to 15 touch points. They're doing one to two. Very, very different than what that could do from acquisition to your performance and your program. Um, and again, like what that could do for your revenue as well. I, I love what you said. Like, I, how many people have heard try some traffic channel? Ah, didn't work for me. Ah, YouTube's stupid, right? Well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not stupid. Um, you know, like there's people that make tons of money off of it. There's program. There are companies that have built solely off of just using one traffic channel, like a YouTube. Uh, so, and we've seen in affiliate marketing as well. It could all generate a lot of revenue. It's how it fits in your business, like I said, how you structure it properly, what product you choose, and how you market it, right? There's always, not for everyone, it's, it might not be the best traffic source for every company out there, and that's okay. That's why it's talking to honest people that could show you and share with you exactly what it takes to get there, um, then make a decision if you're going to make the leap to get there. So I, I remember, uh, this was, this is about a year ago, but we, we, we compiled a report internally that we, I think it was called a rundown reports. And, um, there was a, a stat on there. I, I think it was a quote from you actually, Thomas, uh, that, that I thought was really interesting around, you know, if you want a truly scaled, high performing affiliate program, affiliate should be driving 30% of your revenue or something like that. I, I don't remember if you remember that, but that, that really stuck out to me as just like, yeah, if you really want to build something like that's the kind of place that you need to get to really make big change in, in your business with that is, do you remember, do you remember what I was talking about with that? Yeah. So, I mean, when I looked at that, it was looking at a lot of the Ecom leads we kind of get here at ClickBank versus like kind of the full direct response kind of established brands we have on ClickBank, right? And a lot of the established people on ClickBank, it might be 90 plus percent of their revenue is from affiliates kind of thing. If you look at an ecom brand that's looking to build, obviously you're starting from a place of zero. But if, you've, if, if you're at, let's say, seven figures or eight figures, you're at a healthy revenue number, your kind of operations are somewhat in place, you're scaling, you're kind of going, okay, we're hitting some resistance to scale now. We need additional traffic channels. Right. Well, what is a meaningful traffic channel that is actually going to excite you and your team to build out? And that's where I found that kind of 30% number is usually that kind of like, if we could add 30% revenue or customers to your yearly basis, would, is that something that's compelling? And usually people are like, yeah, that'd be amazing. <laughs> <Yes>. Right. Like, <laughs> let's do that. And, right, and that's not like a guarantee. It's not saying like, oh, we can just do that overnight, but it's that kind of, okay, well, if we want that, which is going to be for a seven figure company, that's going to be, let's say 300 K in that's an affiliate pr uh, client here, right? If you want a $300,000 affiliate funnel, what does that look like? And you start just backing into how many sales a day do you really need to get there? It's really not that many, right? It's like, what, 10 sales a day, maybe depending on your average order value. Um, okay, if we want 10 sales a day, what do we need to do? And then we start just chunking out the work from that point. You can start to realize that, hey, this is doable. It might take 
you know, eight plus months of work to get to that like run rate. But once you're at that run rate, you can start to scale from there. Well, one thing that we haven't really talked about, but it's, I've seen it, you know, personally and with clients is affiliate marketing programs or channels will actually make the rest of your acquisition channels and traffic channels better. They all start performing better. It's a rising so, tide, yeah. Yeah, it, it really, because it's so much exposure to cold audiences and traffic channels or email um, in particular that, you know, the Venn diagram of your customers are also consuming your ads on Facebook or Google or YouTube or whatever channels you have. All of a sudden, they just start doing better. You know, one that we saw really often was affiliate sends and Amazon traffic. So if we have big affiliate sends, our Amazon traffic would spike up. So, I mean, it's something as simple as that. If you're selling a physical product and you're on Amazon, you're going to get more acquisition through affiliates, and you're also going to improve your Amazon brand, which for those that do Amazon selling, boy, you get moved up into the one or two position on a listing, and it's a, if you get in one, it's night and day on that business. Affiliate marketing can now help you get there, right? So you're getting a lot of different ways and pulls on, on this channel that I would argue is, is a little bit unique because you don't get that with every single channel. Um, because it is, it's an omni-channel acquisition channel. It's traffic from potentially everywhere, so it increases all your 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 internal efforts. So I'd say it's not only thirty percent of your revenue, but all your the rest of your revenue goes up too. So um, it's pretty it's pretty substantial and amazing. So myth so, bust. Yeah, I was just about to say, I think affiliate programs can generate a little bit of revenue. Yeah, just just a, a tidbit. Yeah, just, just a, a little tinge. bit. Um, <laughs> Sorry, this is a tangent, but if you want to look at like what's the biggest affiliate program in the world, it's Amazon's. Yeah, right. Um, and now, granted, those are very low margin, like yeah, eight percent, five percent. I think lower. it's I think it's average like five percent. Like a lot are like three to five. There's some like ebooks or something that give like ten or something. But um, so really low. So people are like, oh well, you said low is bad. It's like well, typically is for most people. The reason why Amazon can do it is that they have the buying behavior built into people, right? So it's like if I refer someone to Amazon with a 24 hour cookie, anything they buy, I'll get three percent on, and they're just trying to get more traffic and eyeballs on Amazon. But that kind of mindset of, okay, like what's the, this is a established thing that can really drive a lot of revenue. Once you start to peel back the layers and you start to realize that almost everything you Google is tied back to an affiliate in some way, you start to realize that, oh, maybe affiliates can work for me too, right? Have you tried looking for a mattress lately? It's insane. It's, you can't find like an unbiased review because it's all affiliate (laughs) content out there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's good. Um, I, I think you know, we were just talking about scale a second ago, especially, you know, when you start to grow your affiliate program, right, and really generate some substantial revenue. I think when you look at the flip side of that, when people first come to you guys, when they're first talking to you, right, um, I've heard you guys say in, this, in the pre-production meeting, we were talking about, I need an army of an affiliate, or, <laughs> yeah. or, sorry, I need an army of affiliates to scale. And I think a lot of people think you need mass volume to do that. What, what do you guys usually tell these people? Man, I, I, I'll be honest with you. The Army affiliate sounds stressful to me because <laughs> in reality, I know we talk about the 80-20 rule, but in affiliate marketing, it's like a 95-5 rule, meaning that 5% of all your affiliates will generate 95 of all of your revenue. It, you do not need to chase after so many affiliates. In fact, I would encourage the complete opposite strategy because far too often I've even seen affiliate offers where they get so focused on going out and getting new affiliates, they do nothing to keep the ones that actually drive them traffic happy. Um, and so you're chasing affiliates that at the end of the day might make you two or three sales versus affiliates that can make you thousands. And that number is shockingly small. So a targeted affiliate, like a strategically built affiliate program that goes after the right affiliates that could drive the right amount of traffic 
and sometimes that could be one affiliate, um, is infinitely more successful than one that's indiscriminate to who they're going after and is just chasing numbers. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of frustration. It's a lot of administrative headache. If you could just spend like a day in our customer service team and see what affiliates ask that are in the smaller levels and know you'll get those in your big thousands army of affiliate programs all the time, you start to see that you're chasing pennies over dollars when you go for the army of affiliates versus I would rather go with like a, a squat team of affiliates or like a SEAL team six of affiliates that are really, really awesome. You could target into the traffic you want and just focus on them versus a force of large size. Yeah, and that's the army thing always is like, okay, I understand why you're saying that. But if you look at your own traffic channels, you probably wouldn't see that play out the same way, right? Not every Facebook post you make drives the same amount of customers, right? Not every ad you run drives the same amount of customers. No, you've got a few ads you've scaled that are driving you the most revenue that you're getting. And affiliates will be the exact same way, right? I would say in your stages of growth of an affiliate program, those big affiliates might change, right? You might start out by saying like a 10 sale a day affiliate might be a big one when you're starting out, right? That might be a great one to cultivate and make sure that they're happy. But having that target goal in mind of, no, we want to get to here is really important. So you can keep improving your offer, keep improving your program, keep having those conversations and leveling up those conversations to get to that point. You don't, you still have the resources there. Like you mentioned before, Taylor, at the affiliate resources page, you still have like the done, almost like, the D do it yourself kind of thing for the smaller affiliates. They might not get a weekly zoom call kind of thing with your affiliate manager. They still, they might get the VA, right? <laughs> Sending them a template kind of thing. Um, but you're still taking care of people as much as you can while giving the best people the most attention for your business. Yeah. In the marketing terms, isn't small affiliates, low touch affiliates, right? They're yeah. independent. They could just, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Were you going to say something? Oh, I shouldn't say, yeah, no, I think it's just, you, again, like, the army, it takes an army to serve an army. So don't forget that as well. Like too many affiliates can become a problem um, if you don't have the resources to manage all of that. Well, so I guess to the flip side of that, you know, so instead of going after the, you know, the army of affiliates, you guys talk about having one really solid affiliate or maybe, maybe, yeah, your SEAL Team 6 analogy or something like that. I think another common misconception is that those good affiliates are really hard to find. How do you find those good ones? Because I know I'm, I'm sure all every seller listening on here is like, <laughs> easier said than done. How do I find that one super affiliate that's going to just drive my sales through the roof? So how do you find them? Yeah, it's I always ask kind of the entrepreneurs asking me that it's like, well, where do you find the best people that you network with currently? Right. And why do you think affiliates would be any different? Like Affiliates are often entrepreneurs themselves. They're usually self-employed. Right, and maybe it's an agency that's working as an affiliate for cash flow or something, but usually it's a solopreneur or a small team that's kind of operating in that way. Where are they likely going, in person or online? And you start to kind of peel that back, and they're probably going to affiliate summit, right? They're probably going to traffic and conversion. They're probably going to affiliate world conferences. They're probably going to some different local masterminds if they're in a bigger hub. They're probably going to some smaller masterminds that they travel to. Right, you can put yourself or your affiliate manager in those rooms. Ideally, yourself, because I think you'll get a bit more out of it. Um, but if you can go and actually put yourself in those rooms, you're going to meet those people. It's the ClickBank parties we throw at affiliate summits, right? It's like those kinds of things. How do you start to mix and mingle face to face as much as possible, or at least get into a Facebook group like the Direct Response Marketing Partners group or something? If you're not able to travel yet, right? At least get out there and start like kind of making your face and name recognized. So when it comes up, like, oh yeah, I've seen him working on that, right? And then they can you kind of reduce some of that friction. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I would just, uh, to reaffirm, I think in person's always the best. Yeah. And, and, you know, there were, over the pandemic, there were some um, strategies and things that, that came out that we previously didn't have. I think like the DRMP group and like Traffic Tribe, there's some of these online groups that, that can be good as a stopgap until an event, because an event, it is just a whole different game. Uh, particularly too, I think for, for lots of different people, if you're an established brand um, and you're looking to go expand in new markets or different types of affiliates, it's really great because you come in with credibility and you might be an excited brand for people to talk to, but now you can talk with an affiliates. If you're new, I don't want to say it's like the most critical thing you could do if you don't have a proven offer and you're trying to grow an affiliate program is to be there. Because now they're not just saying yes to their offer, they're really saying yes to you, which is really probably your biggest asset because your offer doesn't have anything. You have no traffic. Your offer is non-existent in their minds, but you are right there present as a physical individual. I was just talking with a client right before this. Like they're looking to get traffic. I was saying, hey, go to ASW. I was like, bring your product. And we talked about different ways that they could display their product, get people bought into it, right? And like at the end of the day, they might not be bought into the performance you don't have, but they're brought into you and what you're selling. That could get you traffic, get you affiliates. And you're looking for super affiliates. The ones that care about your product are going to be ones that are more likely to be a super affiliate promote more than once if they have a good traffic source. I also tell people, you would be surprised how easy it is to get somebody to test your offer once. Second time is a lot harder. <laughs> so you want to be careful with, yeah. with what you go out and do. But a lot of these people are always looking for the next upcoming thing. They've also been in your shoes. So, you know, they're, they're way more willing to test. Um, the last thing, and Ed had, uh, Ed had a great cranky corner about this for those that don't know Ed Scow. Um, if you're doing that, make sure to be very transparent. Don't go into these networking situations, start lying about your offer. Like, oh, it's so great. It gets all these great killer $3 EPCs. I'm like, and you haven't sent it anywhere and those are made up numbers. Don't do that. Come to people, be honest, open, like, hey, I'm really passionate about this. I've done X, Y, Z. I don't have a lot of diamond traffic. I'm here to get it, right? Can you help me out? Because at the end of the day, they're gonna, you will find somebody that's willing to say, yes, I will test it. And they'll also know they're testing something unproven so they could tell you how it went, what you need to work on, right? If, they, if you told them it was all great and it just sucked, I don't even want to talk to you again, right? Well, I don't know. Obviously, the offer is not for me. Versus if it's untested, that offer could be for me. I like the way it tasted. I like the product, I like the person I worked with. I'm willing to tell you what's going on. I might actually test that a second time, even if they're a super affiliate. You'd be amazed because all many of the super affiliates do not start out that way, right? They start out very small. So yeah, it might be three months later, you come back to them and be like, hey, we've really been working on it. Things we're testing last time, right? We've improved by X percent, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is. And they go, oh, cool, right? Okay, yeah. I'll try again. Yeah. yeah. If you told, they said, hey, you need this and this and this, and you come back and say, I have it now. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. I'm glad you're being honest with me. Yeah. And we're here, Game right? respects game in this space, right? It, yeah, yeah, it really does. Mm -hmm. It really does. Like, you don't have to be too intimidated. Um, but I will say be very transparent. Uh, that's the best thing you could do. Um, and definitely try and be in person if you can. That's good. Yeah, I guess. So, so to recap, myth, two myths busted. You do not need an army of affiliates to scale. You just need a couple. And then those couple that you do find, they actually are easier to find. You just got to put yourself out there, go network, do those kind of things. You guys would be yeah. talking about. Yeah. Well, let's Kyle, you kind of touched on it. Like if you get some big scaled affiliates on your offer, the mid-tier, smaller, whatever you want to call them, affiliates will come right behind them, mm -hmm. right? Like it, <laughs> They all watch the list. They yeah. watch the biggest mailers. And yeah. if they see your offer come twice down the pipe, they'll go, whew, that one. one. Yeah. yeah. So it's so, like, and then yeah. the marketplace is rising in ClickBank, right? They're, they're, using, they're seeing it being uh, ads bought on Facebook or YouTube. And they're like, oh, what's this offer now, right? So like if you can get a few running big, it starts to 
build up its own steam. Yeah, yeah they're kind of your icebreaker that clears yeah. the pathway for you. Mm -hmm. It's good stuff. So last one, I know, sad, coming to a close, our episode of Mythbusters. But I wanted to save the best one for last because, yeah, I, I think you guys get this probably more than anyone here at ClickBank, and you probably hear it all the time. But the myth of, uh, you know, someone coming with their product and they think it's ready for affiliates. So my product is ready for affiliates to run. Oh boy, <laughs> yeah. this is nothing like the conversation where you get to destroy someone's dreams. Because right? everyone like, thinks yeah. that, right? Because yeah. they all come and like, okay, I got this great offer. Like yeah. now it's time to push it to the affiliates. It like, feels like scale. telling a good friend they're being catfished sometimes. So like, well, I know, <laughs> ugly. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, man, we need to be a little bit realistic about where you're at. No, um, this comes up a lot of times. You know, there's the person that's like, hey, I'm doing this for the first time. Very open. They want to hear. Lots of people are coming in. They have successful business, whether e-com, they're, they're generating seven, eight figures. Like, they're like, I know what I'm doing. And you do in whatever you're doing. That does not mean that translates directly over to direct response. Um, I mentioned earlier, um, you know, these 10 to 15 touch points on the e-com style sales process. They're predicated on being, being where the consumer is when they decide to make a buying decision, right? I'm in pockets of decision-making versus... I'm going out and finding the person that isn't even thinking about a solution. I would say it's like solution versus problem-oriented buyers. That's a totally different marketing style. I'm not marketing a solution-oriented, like a solution-aware consumer like I am to a problem-aware consumer. And if your marketing doesn't fit that, you roll out to all these people that are expecting this style of marketing with this style of marketing, it isn't going to go well. And we see it time and time again. And then people are so frustrated. It's like, well... You know, it's the affiliates follower. I have the wrong affiliates. And it's like, no, you just, your offer's not there, right? Or your offer has no margins. So you can only offer $1.50 and it converts at 2%. No one's going to want that. So, and it's just, yeah. So even if your offer is right for you and what you're doing right now, it does not mean that it's right for a new traffic channel. Um, it doesn't mean it can't be, but it might not be right away. You might have to make some adjustments. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you covered that pretty well there. I, I backed into a lot of like the qualifications I have, questions I have now for people who want to like launch their new affiliate program or get on ClickBank or get affiliates. And a lot of those questions came from all of these mistakes I made with leads and clients. I'm like, yeah, this looks good. <laughs> sure. And then why did this not work? And now I'm trying to hustle and try to help them recruit affiliates and just as like beat my head against the wall kind of thing. And so time and time again, I started realizing there's a proven method that you kind of need to be able to back into. And that, that can look different depending on like the traffic, like the sales model or if it's a VSL or a TSL or a hybrid page, whatever it might be. But there's some different stats you need to focus on, like getting AOV up, making sure you have the profit margin to play. Um, we've got a friend here in Boise, right? He's got a supplement brand they've invested a ton of money into over the last two or three or four years. Um, and they realized that their cogs were just way too high to grow into different traffic channels, right? Their cogs were like $20 a bottle or something. So they worked with someone to bring those cogs down so they can actually get those cogs like $6 a bottle while still maintaining integrity of their product. And now they have so much more margin to play with actually acquire affiliates, which means even if your conversions didn't change, <laughs> you've just made it so much more lucrative for an affiliate to test with you, even if your marketing hasn't changed at all, just because you've been able to up commissions. And then if you can do both, now you're really starting to hum and really starting to kind of get things going. Yeah. And I think, too, sometimes you might be looking to think, well, hey, why can I not do something different into the channel? And you can. It's just important to understand that different 
isn't always good. And sometimes that can be a tough road to sled. And so you have to expect failure is going to be more likely if you aren't following the standard procedures. Again, that doesn't mean you can't do it. Like, it's just, you have to know what you're getting into before you jump into it. And sometimes you do take chances. Like I've taken chances with clients before and told them, hey, you're doing something no one else has done before. It could work. It could also flame out horribly. We don't really know. Um, well, it is, yeah, it probably makes a small splash, right? And yeah. doesn't like necessarily flame out. It's like, well, that didn't quite Yeah, yeah, but, it might not, but it's <laughs> one of those things you, you might have some right? level yeah. in between, but I think mm -hmm. it, it's very different where we see people get frustrated. They don't have the proper expectation. Yes. They think because it worked before, it'll work here, 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 which like you mentioned before, Tom, that is not true with any traffic channel. Yeah. I can't take a Facebook funnel and dump it into YouTube and expect the same results. It will not work. I have to start adjusting. So everything requires change. We have the same conversations going the other way with our direct response clients who are heavily built into affiliates. Yeah. They want to expand out of there too, right? They want to add an additional traffic layer or a different customer acquisition channel that isn't affiliates, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, well, they need to know a new way of marketing now that's yeah. not just aggressive like VSL page. You might right? have to write some content. Yeah. So it's ah! like, I know. It's, it's like, <laughs> gosh, I know. I came from SEO and all that and like the trying to convince our clients to invest in like social media, like not paid Facebook ads, but like actual social media is like pulling yeah. teeth. They're like, why would I do that? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, we better talk about a content yeah. grid. They're like, what the hell did yeah. you just <laughs> like, Get out. Content. Get out. Get out. Like, I feel like the more people can come from one side or the other and meet in the middle, like that's where I think we're kind of heading as industry too, just albeit slowly on either side. But the brands that do operate in the middle get the best of both worlds and can scale. Yeah, you can 100% do it. It's just... Uh, you know, have the humility and understanding that it's not going to be the same. Yeah. And, and, you know, you have to just get there. And depending on how much time and energy you want to spend, it could take some time. Yeah. Well, myth busted. 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 Not all products are ready. Not all products are ready. Well, guys, I got to say, thanks for letting me crash the party, shake things up a little bit. Yeah. Play Mythbusters. Anytime, man. Well, one thing, one thing I was going to say on the last thing you said, not all products are ready. If you are not sure your product's ready... I would recommend reaching out to any member of our team on our sales team. We're always happy to look at products and we'll, yeah. we'll be very honest in telling you if it's ready or not. Yeah. Um, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but realistically, I just, just want to put that out there. If you're not sure, just ask, you know, some, one thing I love about this industry is there's a lot of very transparent people and they will tell you if your crap sucks and they'll also tell you if it doesn't suck. Um, and that could be sometimes hard to hear, but it's freeing. So just ask. And now you can go with yours and say That's all I got. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, it's fun. I, I think we should definitely... Well, one thing I'd say, too, for all the listeners out there, if there are other myths you'd like us to bust periodically, um, let us know. What are the things, the burning questions that you feel like are assumptions that maybe you don't know if they're true or not, or you've personally experienced that that is very much so a myth? Um, be sure to you know comment on this, email us, whatever you want to do. Reach out. Let us know so we can bring Taylor in and have some more content. So, um, plus for those that are on YouTube, just know that when we hit a hundred thousand, if we keep right you oh, know, subscribing, we have a pretty fun thing that we're gonna. I doing really regret this. That will definitely make <laughs> Thomas cry, maybe even more. more. I'm very excited. Yes, yeah. I'm not yeah. at all. So, if you'd like yeah. to see Thomas cry and Kyle laugh, um, please make sure to subscribe so we get to a hundred thousand, and there'll be a special surprise. I don't know when this episode is going to drop, but hopefully soon. <laughs> <laughs> With that, um, again, I don't know why that was clunky and weird. I forgot that we were closing this out. But uh, <laughs> with that, we hope to see you next time. And Thomas, what do we tell the people every single time we leave? Or do you tell the people every single time? <laughs> Happy scale. Happy scale. Yeah, there we go. Till next time.